So pretty much I just saw myself in this movie. I didn't want to see my reflection and fuck that. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Maybe we're dead and this is heaven. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the gore lover, Alexis. You get laid, and then you die. The coward, the creeper, Ryan. You came back. Yay! And the scream queen, Paris. Their hair is so flat. It's making me sad. The people have spoken this week, and our patrons have decided we're covering a 2015 horror comedy. Before we get down to all the laughs, though, we have some follow-up. Our follow-up this week is about a movie that is so not horror that it verges on comedy, and that's Sphere. I thought it was a very serious movie. It was serious, but seriously horror, debatable. But nonetheless, we wanted to hear what our listeners thought about Mac's pick for the co-host Clash, because it did win and they did vote for it. The results are in, and only 29% of our listeners gave it a hack, and 71% slashed it. What an overwhelming success. What a positive thing to say. <laughs> but I think the most important standout from that episode actually came in our B-sides, in which we talked about a question from one of our patrons, Rob, and Rob has some follow-up for us. He said, I'm honored that my question was chosen for this episode. However, I'm less than thrilled that no one sided with me in considering The Shape of Water a horror movie. Paris went so far as to say, it's not a good movie, and it's my favorite movie of all time. I feel betrayed by you all, except Ryan, who of course hasn't seen it. I'd like to point out that I strategically tiptoed an opinion on The Shape of Water being a horror movie because I have not seen it either. Listen, you all know I'm here for nothing if not to not insult our listeners based on their favorites, usually. And Paris is here for the opposite. I don't know. Sometimes you be insulting. I do be, but I don't mean to be. And often, if I haven't seen it, it, basically, here's what it is. I either haven't seen it and therefore have no opinion or have seen it and have a strong opinion that you might not like. The insults go from number one being Paris, and then, no kidding, you're very close second. Am I? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I decided that what I'm going to do is share our hack and slash average in the end of year episode. Ooh. Because I can tally very easily, I figured out how, to rate the number of hacks you've given and the number of slashes you've given. So we'll see. I would like to make a bet for $1 that I will be close to a 50% hack, 50% slash ratio. Well, that's a really subjective word. Close. Close. Within 10. Between between 60 and 40. Less than, less than, you know what I'm trying to say? Oh, no. I think you need to have a more narrow margin than that. Yeah, that's a wide net. Okay, we'll do a 5%. We'll do a 5% margin around 50%. Okay? Five more or five less. I'll take that bet. I think a dollar is something I can handle losing. It's in your Venmo account, and I'm sure it's there. Okay, but wait. The reason I wanted to talk about this comment is because I actually talked to Rob on Twitter, I think it was, and he explained that like all of the other movies of the same like monster genre have always been horror, like Dracula, that werewolf one. The Wolfman. American Werewolf in London? Different one. The Wolfman is original. I think the one Chris meant. And then Creature of the Black Lagoon. And I think what has happened in the culture is that we have grown so desensitized that a woman fucking uh, ocean man is not as horrific as it once was, I think partially because of furries. 
But that movie is very much framed as like a romance, and you're kind of supposed to be rooting for those two characters to hook up. Okay. Also, as part of our follow-up, we'd like to thank two of our newest patrons who joined us during our New Blood Drive. Thank you so much, Amber and Matt. We can't wait to hear more from you in the future. If you want, give us a call at the Hacker Slash Hotline, send us a message, and we'll be happy to share it on our new episodes. And that's our follow-up. Welcome to the party to those two new patrons, Amber, Matt. We're so excited to have you, and we're so excited that you participated in the voting this month. Our patron nominations this month included three slashers and a 2019 psychological horror film. This was a tight race most of the way, and several folks were showing love and high praise for nearly all of the films, but we did have a clear winner. And it's a film that's actually co-written by Joshua John Miller, whose dad played Father Karras in The Exorcist. Miller conceptualized and wrote the film as a way of dealing with the death of his own father, and in the end, turned out a movie where a young woman and her friends are dropped into the world of a cult classic 80s slasher film, a film in which her mother, now dead, starred years ago. This week, thanks to a majority 44% of the overall patron vote, we're talking about The Final Girls. Yes, and I have two comments from our patrons who helped choose this movie. So one is Alex Poet, who says... The Final Girls is a great spoof of an 80s slasher. I'm glad it's winning so far. If you can get behind a comedy horror like Leslie Vernon, then you can get behind The Final Girls. That's what she said. Happy voting, slashers. Classic Ryan. Can't let a good moment go. I really cannot. And then we also had MJ who said, just watched The Final Girls. Very interested to see you guys talk about the success of its comedy, since I know the panel has very different opinions about comedy and horror, and I cannot agree more. Well, buckle up and enjoy the ride, MJ, because this week we're talking about the final girls. And we've got to know, who's seen this one before tonight? I'm going to be quite honest with you. I've never even heard of this movie, so I'm excited for this. I also hadn't seen this movie, and although that's not surprising at all, I hadn't heard of it, and I didn't know what to expect because of the name, The Final Girls. I wasn't really excited about it, you know? So I had actually seen this movie before, and I think I watched it last year or maybe the year prior. But I don't know how I caught wind of it. It was on like some streaming service and the algorithm recommended it to me because it knows what I like. And I watched it, I think, with my boyfriend at home. So I thought I had actually seen this before, but I realized I watched something that was tangentially related and that I'm going to have to hunt down on Tubi. But I heard about this film and I heard about the concept behind it and I was really, really excited about it. There's a, a soft spot in my heart for movies about moms. I find the inevitable march of time and the reality that we will all lose our mothers one day to be a heartbreaking thing that I can't really acknowledge or or, or contend with and, and grasp. So I expected this to be an emotional movie alongside being like a, a solid comedy. I've heard incredible things about it, but one of the things was a listener writing out to us on Instagram saying, the final girls brings the laugh and the tears. And I was like, I'm ready to feel because I thought I was ready to get into it. But having watched it on the other side, I I was not ready, it turns out. Yeah, Chris, this is one of those things I think everyone can align with is we really don't want to consider the mortality of things on this earth. I didn't know I was going into a comedy. So I actually didn't expect to like this movie because I just don't care about the like general excitement over like who is a final girl and stuff like that. So just seeing the title, I was like, okay, I, this doesn't mean anything to me in most movies, much less a movie that's specifically based around it. So I, I went in honestly expecting to hate this. Hate? That's such a strong word. Okay. Well, dislike, but you know what I mean. I mean, kind of. I don't know if the, you know, cover art 
gave it away for me. But they had so many people that I was like, this has to be some sort of comedy, obviously to an 80s slasher, the way everyone was dressed up. And I kind of read a little bit of the information about it. So I knew what to expect, but I don't think I knew the extent to what I was going to be watching. So I may have mentioned this on the pod before, but there's a book called The Final Girls that I've read that I really enjoyed. And when I remember seeing this on whatever platform I found it on, I remember being like, oh my God, did they make this into a movie? And I had no idea. Fantastic. And then I clicked on it and I was like, I don't think this is the same because of how many comedic actors are in this. But I still had hope because I was like, oh, this feels like something that might be tailor-made for me. But I know that experience went a little bit sour for you the first time you watched this, right, Paris? Yeah, I was actually a little bit disappointed. And I think that was because I had so many different expectations and it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. So this time when I went to it, I was like, okay, I know what I'm in for and I'm open to being surprised without all these preconceived notions of like what I'm hoping to get into. Do you think you've grown as a person in respect to horror comedy? In the course of like a year or two? Probably not. You don't think so? I feel like we've been exposed to like so many more different versions. Oh, I'm a a fan of horror comedy. I usually, well, no, horror comedy is hit or miss for me. It's hard. I agree. There's been parody. There's been tribute. It's, you know, comedy and horror can just come from a lot of different ways. And while watching this movie, it was just fun. Like, I'm pretty sure I said to myself, because I kind of go through the questions and how I am going to talk about the movie on the podcast. And that's what really hit the nail on the head for me was this was a fun ride. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think it's an interesting way that this goes about because I'm comparing this to something we just recently watched, which is Slumber Party Massacre, which is clearly a joke. And this is a joke. And I'm trying to figure out like what makes this one feel different for me. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but it does. And I think it's like, I know it's a joke from the beginning, even without being prepared for that. So something about the way this movie starts, something about the way they do it, just put me in the mood to have a good time. And I would say that I did. I I think I was pretty entertained the whole time. I wouldn't say I had any like strong connections aside from wanting to cry about moms, but you know, everybody wants to cry about moms when given the opportunity. So that doesn't really count for much. No? Do you not always want to cry for moms? We'll talk about it in the character section, but um, there's something about our main character that I just really dislike, so I cannot get emotional in this movie at all. Ooh. Hmm. No, this was jam-packed full of emotion for me. I felt so many things, but I think the best way to you know sum- summarize how I was feeling was this relief that it wasn't just the sadness and overwhelming sadness that I think I expected to feel. Even though I I cried a lot more than I expected to, this movie walked a fine line and I expected it to be way more sad and way less uplifting. And that was a really healthy balance for me. And I love learning about the origins of the story and why it was written the way that it did. And to know that, you know, you have a writer who lost his father. His father is immortalized in a cult classic. He's probably asked about this all the time. How do you cope with that? How do you grieve that and mourn that loss and still be able to look at these films. And I think that's one of the things that really stood out to me. Like when this movie starts, I was laughing so much looking at how they're parodying Friday the 13th and other 
camp slashers. There's a moment where they say, they won't be singing Kumbaya, they'll be singing Kumbaya, no. And that was hilarious to me. But then immediately it drops us into this emotional like, but look at these two. Look at a mom and her daughter. And let's get to know them before you know what's going to happen happens. And the way they build that was really interesting to me. It, it was unexpected. I thought we were going to start with one thing having already happened and we get to actually see a lot more than I expected. It was a surprise. Yeah, Chris, I was definitely thinking about you during the emotional parts, especially towards the end. I was like, ooh, I know Chris is crying right now. <laughs> oh, I cried so much. Really? Yeah, I'm not ashamed to say it. Absolutely. She's our sweet little bean. Don't you know? She also does always like get choked up by like the thought of like anybody in her family dying. Absolutely. It's the one true thing I actually fear. It is a really real thing. It is a real thing, Ryan. And I I knew that we'd be dealing right with the loss of loved ones in this film. But again, like I expected this to either be way too depressing or way too funny to strike that balance. So I think even about Fear Street 1978, Alexis and I were talking about how emotional that movie was when we think about family dynamic and sisters and I would I would think, right, that had this movie gone a little bit more on one side or the other, it would have been a really sour taste in my mouth. But they walked a really fine line that, honestly, I was really surprised that they managed to, to keep me engaged on both the comedy and the emotional side without beating me over the head with it. Yeah, the comedy hit well for me. It wasn't cheesy and it paid off so well and especially paying tribute to a lot of slasher classics and honestly a lot of tropes in the horror genre which i thought was great because i was surprised at how bad it can be in some movies that we've seen so you're more laughing at the movie than you are with the characters and with the movie like you are in this Alexis, I have to agree with you honestly i kind of agree with both you and chris the two biggest things for me are how well they balance this movie with the comedy and the horror and the emotions all at the same time. I mean, maybe, maybe it's a little light on the horror, but the comedy and very serious topics are very hard to pull off and they did it really well. And then the way the comedy itself works is surprising as a person who generally doesn't think it's funny when movies are trying to be funny, I think overall, but especially in horror. So those things really blew me away because once I was watching it and realized, Oh, this is like a, a joke, right? Like, I'm, I, I need to have a good time here. I was like, not thinking, I already didn't think I was going to like it. And then it just compounded where I was like, oh gosh, this is not going to be my thing. And it just does something so different from other things that we've seen. It's almost like Tucker and Dale versus evil level of comedy, not the same style of movie, but it's like that level of like, it works in that way. I really need to get us to rewind behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. I really feel like you would both appreciate even if you don't like the movie overall i I feel like you would both appreciate this the approach and style of comedy in that film it has been on my list since you explained it to me chris oh yeah i totally agree with you chris it's such a great movie in my opinion now like everyone's saying i was also surprised by the comedy in this movie specifically like the number of comedy powerhouses that are in this cast and i'd already seen this and i like forgot these people were in this and i watched it again i was like oh yeah it's him and her and him. Oh my God, how did I forget this? And I think that's because the comedy is sometimes very funny, but then also sometimes kind of almost cringe. Like the writing, I feel like needed some work, but the improv, when the actors are really going for it, I think is when it shines the most with the comedy. 
But Paris, the thing that's really cool is that they can use the setting of themselves as the excuse for bad writing, which is hilarious. Because that's the thing I'm always saying when y'all are like, oh, it's campy. I'm like, okay, it's horrible writing and or acting. And it's hilarious to see them in this movie be able to say, oh, the writing needs some work. Like, yeah, it does. Thanks. (laughs) Okay. But I feel like certain characters were written poorly on purpose and other characters were written poorly unintentionally. I See, I love that those layers to that, Ryan. You're right. When you have some of these characters, especially the the past characters, right? The ones that were like very much within this 80s slasher. It's so captivating to to sit back and just like uh, let yourself fall into and absorb the layers of meta in this movie. It's solid from top to bottom. I did discover a thing that I didn't realize was a thing before. There's the guy in this movie, Adam Devine. He's a modern family. He's also in Pitch Perfect. He's been in a number of things. Also controversially hot in my book. And this will come back in the B-sides. Okay. Okay. I have liked him in everything that I've seen him in until this. He was a sour note for me and a huge disappointment. Well, I agree. I think there's one thing that's like particularly over the line sour, but also he is meant to play the really disgusting, hateful man in the 80s slasher. I don't object to the character that he was playing. I object to his performance of the character. Really? Yeah. I know that he plays into that character, and I don't think like his portrayal of that character is bad. I just did not enjoy the experience of him on screen. Some of his ad-libbing, fantastic, and like what he was saying was funny, but it's a whole experience of him in this movie. He didn't feel like the right fit for me. Isn't that how we feel about all the men in 80s slashers, though, you know? None quite like him. I think because I see him as a lovable buffoon, Mm. so I can't take him seriously as the douchebag. Oh my god. Even if he technically nails nails it right with like saying the types of things, walking the walk, talking the talk, etc. Even if he like on paper nails it, it is so disconnected for me that I just do not enjoy it. Did the bloopers change that feeling for you at all? No, he again, he looks like a fun guy and a fun time, but it does not change my experience of the movie because you have to wait to the end to get to the bloopers. And it doesn't justify all that. Like it was painful. Oh yeah, I did not watch the bloopers. I famously turn things off as soon as the exactly oh my god really same oh i'm such a sucker for bloopers if you give me any kind of footage b-roll or otherwise in the ending credits i am staying until the end that's all our b-sides are really it's got to start playing immediately or i'm turning it off i turn it did it was so immediate oh i uh, literally i turned it off immediately (laughs) she didn't get to the last frame honestly sometimes i turn things off before they like fully end especially like podcasts you're like i can see where this is going i'm done here yeah i got it i get it there's gonna be credits here got it there was one moment he had with another modern character that like i cringed a little bit but then thought was hilarious and there was there was that moment like comedic gold for me where i feel like his performance was just chef's kiss but beyond that it was rough well while most of those things were surprising what isn't surprising is that this horror comedy is not even a little bit scary not even like you might think about it ever again scary. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that the antagonist is scary either. And you don't see him a lot on film, so that also takes away, I think, from the fright factor of this movie. 
Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I don't think this movie will be mad at us for saying it wasn't scary. The killer was all but disposable, I feel like. And the comedy is really what they were focusing on. Well, the fear of leaving things unsaid to a loved one before they tragically die. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is what this movie's really about. Not the inevitable march of time. (laughs) It is. You know, it's terrifying to sit back and realize that if nature runs its course with life expectancies, you're going to be the one last one standing in your family. I am so at peace with that. I'm not yet. (laughs) Alternatively... an even scarier fear possibly is that you could just disappear anytime and we're all just here and your stuff's still here and all the people that knew you were here but you're not here if you want to go that route no 100 percent. it's tragic either way right it's absolutely tragic and and terrifying how quickly life can be extinguished and i think for me obviously this movie isn't scary but i think what i fear is being in Max's situation, having a really sudden loss that you don't know how to cope with, and then having to be forced to like have that shoved in your face and confront it, and you're trying to make peace with it and heal as you go, but then realizing that you haven't let go. So I'll, I'll, I'll be real with you. I was really, really close to uh, my grandfather on my mother's side, and we used to hang out all the time. He'd come watch Andy Griffith while he babysat me every once in a while. We'd go to baseball games together. It was a great time. And I didn't say goodbye to him the last time he went to Puerto Rico because they would like spend months there. He was out mowing the lawn. You know, it was raining. He had a stroke. He got pneumonia and he died in Puerto Rico. And I never said goodbye to him. You know what I mean? Like I didn't even like say, get to say I love you one last time. I still, I'll have when I was like 15, I still am not at peace with that. So this movie hits some really deeply emotional things that like, I think if you are a person like me, you're not going to be scared of this movie, but I think it will have you thinking about things that you're not going to want to be thinking about. Sure. It's definitely got the emotional things. It's not an unemotional movie and it's not one of the things where all of us are like, Chris, what are you talking about? There was nothing to feel here. It's certainly not that. There is a lot to feel. But at the same time, I would recommend not spending a lot of time considering these fears because they don't make you feel any better about life. It's really great to just go on pretending like everyone exists forever. (laughs) Everybody copes in different ways. That's right. That's right. I think we can all agree, though, and I might be wrong, but this movie definitely gets originality points. 100%. Yes. In my notes, I did write an updated version of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. But then I also said it's obviously very Friday the 13th. Then you got, you know, these scenes where it's very Halloween-esque and another scene from The Burning and did something, though, that made it original. It felt familiar and it felt good, but it did something new that was entertaining. So this movie is funny for sure. But it's very different from Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I think if you can admire the quality and the meta of things, and yes, but even like the the frames of those stories are totally, totally different. I love that this movie reminded me of Pleasantville, where you suddenly get dropped in a completely different thing. You have to figure out what the hell is going on and how do you get through this. I love that it did that while also pulling in some emotional chords while also being a meta love letter to slashers as a whole i think this movie is a very unique blend of those three things 
I have to agree. And I also think it's important to remember this movie is made in 2015, where it's almost impossible to make original things that aren't referential to something at some point. And I think, honestly, that applies to the past two decades. So it can't be 100% original, but it is quite original for me. Okay, now I know I started the originality conversation, and I do stand by it. But watching this movie after having just watched the Slumber Party Massacre remake made me kind of recognize a trend that's happening in modern horror, where they're like, okay, everything's already been done. So let's do something completely unexpected within a standard like format of a horror movie. And now that unexpected thing is sort of becoming expected. Not this though, not in a movie. Right. This was super specific, but the idea of doing like taking something we are all so familiar with and then flipping it on its head has now been done about a dozen times. Can I get a third example? The rise of Leslie Vernon. <laughs> that wasn't it. <laughs> right. But this was not a very different vibe from Slumber Party Massacre. These were actually very f- similar in my opinion. Yeah. I'd agree. In their feeling. So obviously, this movie gets originality points. Absolutely. It's same, same, for, but different for Paris and Slumber Party Massacre. But I think one of the stronger parts of it is the way that it, it wraps itself up. And I am actually surprised that we haven't gotten more from this. I appreciate that they left well enough alone and gave us something that could set up for something else in the future without going too hard and pursuing that. But Ryan, I know that this does get dangerously close to something that you hate. Oh, oh my God. Yes, it does. And I was almost upset about it, but then I was okay with it because I think it works. This is the one rare situation where I think it almost went there and it still worked. This movie is very different for me because I feel like in a lot of movies that I watch, the suspension of disbelief that I have is non-existent. I really don't care what happens. We've talked about this in the Saw movies and in other movies when our cast is like, Alexis, but this doesn't make sense. A doesn't lead to B. I'm like, eh, who cares? This one, I, you know, when you're in a different stream of events, I did wonder, especially in this movie, like what was going to happen. And I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but it was just, it had me wondering how this movie was going to wrap up. And I think I was very invested. And to me, it really did pay off and it paid off. It had its nice sugarcoat ending, in my opinion. And then it slaps you with a, hey, here's another thing on the end, which I truly appreciated because what is a horror movie if it's not this thing that was on the end of it? What it does perfectly is toe the line of how much information they give you about how this is happening. And it's very little information and not giving a ton of information keeps you wondering about how it's going to wrap up, but doesn't get you lost in like the details of like, how are they actually there? Like, don't worry about that, bro. We're just here. We got to just trust whatever this person says. Okay. Just go for it and it'll be fine. And the ending kind of like keeps that train of thought, which I'm glad because I would have been real annoyed if they wrapped this up a few other ways, like fully going with one of the things I hate the most and stuff like that. It would have been rough. I think that's a really good observation, Ryan. This movie does play well with the information it gives you and not giving you too much so that you can't question too much. I think the like the end of the movie is a little bit too schmaltzy for me. But the end end, they kind of bring it back around and they're like, oh, huh. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I'm not mad. 
also, you know, little Michael Myers reference up in here. Oh my God, I literally thought the same thing. And I did not pick up on that before I had seen how every sequel of a movie ends in a specific location. (laughs) Or starts. Or, yeah, begins, continues in a separate location. Well, I am so proud. I would consider this growth that you can appreciate the Halloween connections in this film. But we have... A few things to button up before we start rating this movie. Now, Alexis, the final girls, sounds like there's probably some death in there. How many people died in this film? This is a total slasher movie, and we have 20 deaths in this movie. Ooh, wow, really? Yeah. Oh, does that include the one scene? Yes, it includes the one scene. Okay. It happened. 20 happened, all right. And what about the animal report? There's not even animals in this movie, so we're good. Just nice, clean, wholesome fun over here for The Final Girls from 2015. Now let's go ahead and get into our ratings. The Final Girls. Hacker Slash. So I was watching this movie, and the first thing that I thought of once it wrapped up was, if Paris and Chris had a love child and it was a movie, it would probably be this movie. And to me, this movie takes the best parts of what Paris likes in a movie and the best parts of what Chris enjoys in a movie. And it meshes it really well. And it has some comedy in there. And although I couldn't relate, and I say I can't relate to the trauma that's in this movie, not particularly because I've never been in it or I'm this cold-hearted person, because I've taken an arc through this whole chapter in my life on Hacker Slash. And there's movies that I've watched that have made me cry. This one didn't, but it did play on pieces of horror that I love. And the stream and the blend of comedy in this movie is great. And I think the cast is amazing. And this is just like a really great watch that I would totally watch again, probably sooner rather than later. And I can appreciate that in a movie. So this is definitely getting a slash for me. I don't think the feelings in this movie really get to me because I refuse to allow them because I can't live my life that way. So for me, it's like the perfect balance of elements coming together, which is horror, comedy, emotions. It all works really well here. And for me, this is a really, really simple slash in that it's just an easy watch. It's really enjoyable. It does a lot of things well. And it doesn't really bother me in a lot of ways that most horror comedies that I've seen do. I don't hate the characters. I don't like all of them, but a few of them I quite enjoyed. And like a a couple of them I was like rooting for, which is rare for me. I didn't hate the setting. I enjoyed the way that they made fun of themselves. A lot of times my beef with horror comedy is that I don't feel like they're actually making fun of themselves. I feel like they're just doing bad acting and bad writing. And we're supposed to be like, oh, it's campy. To me, this makes sense if you tell me this is campy because it's clear, it's clear that they're like, we're making fun of this and I enjoy it. And maybe that makes me like stupid because I don't get the other camp or I don't believe it. I just think it's bad. This works for me. So it's a slash. I, I think it's like, if you need a chill movie to watch, and you're okay with possibly dealing with a little bit of feelings, this is a good one. Ryan, you mentioned being hit in the feels with this movie, and that sort of happened for me. Like, being the only child of a single mom, the opening really got me, where it's kind of like you have to be the parent to your mom sometimes. And I was like, oh, I know this very well. Ooh, amen. I actually thought about you, too. I was like, I wonder if Ryan also relates. I think she might, but I don't want to assume. Yeah, but I turn all my feelings off. Like an oven, you got to turn them off before you leave the house. Which I think is why the rest of this movie didn't hit me in the feels. A lot of it I felt, like I said, was very schmaltzy, very saccharine, like overly like sweet and like sentimental. And I was like, ugh, anytime that happens, I'm like, ugh, get this off me. Like, it feels like I'm like 
I don't know, cobwebs that I need to shake off. And that's probably something I need to go to therapy for. But in general, this movie, it looks like it was really fun to make. And I really like the concept of exploring a horror movie in a way that's like super meta. And it's very like not taking itself too seriously. But ultimately, I feel like somehow, even though the concept was good and I loved the actors, this movie ended up being somehow less than the sum of its parts. In that the first time I watched it, I was disappointed. And the second time I watched it, I was disappointed. The comedy, I feel like, is best when the actors are ad-libbing. I feel like the writing on this movie is not very good. And I think it's because this movie is PG-13. It feels very PG-13. It doesn't feel like particularly well-written. And it's something where it is fun if you like turn your brain off, but it's not the kind of comedy that I'm necessarily into, even though some parts did make me laugh. I feel like if there is an R-rated version of this movie, it would be a slash for me. But I wanted it to be darker, and I wanted it to be funnier, and this iteration is a hack. Paris, to be different. No, literally, the algorithm told me, it was like, you would like this movie. And I was like, you would think that I would like this movie. But every time I watch it, I'm like, it's so close to me liking it. And what's interesting is I watched Slumber Party Massacre, even though I wasn't on that episode, and that one I would actually slash, because it did enough of the things that I liked to get that from me. Everybody was dumb. That's what you liked. Everybody was dumb. That was the thing that did it for you. No, that was the part I actually didn't like about that. Some of it was, like, very cringe. And in this movie, too, a lot of the characters in this movie were very cringe. All I'm saying is the Fear Street saga has a lot more PG-13 vibes to me, even though it clearly wasn't based on gore and stuff like that. But, like, if we're talking about things geared for people that are younger, that feels so much more that way than this does to me. I wouldn't have ever known that this was PG-13 in in my eyes. But you know what? Horror is for everyone. Everybody has their own experience. I'll let you live. Maybe this wasn't the baby between Chris and Paris, as I thought. <laughs> it's like the child that I had and was like, "Ugh, you're my least favorite child. Paris does famously hate kids, so. True. <laughs> or it is the child between Paris and I, except he was a neglectful father. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I saw this baby and I was like, I'm good, Chris. You can handle this, right? Which is why I would be a single mom raising this kid. Because this movie's a slash for me. Full circle, baby. It's an easy watch. It's an emotional watch. It wasn't easy to feel feelings during this movie by any means. But I looked at this and there was so much comedy jam-packed into the self-referential. I know we all know how silly 80s horror movies can be. But it's also taking this really interesting concept of going back and processing your grief and coping with that. And I think it handles it in a different way that I wasn't expecting. I obviously knew on paper like how this was going to handle the subject matter of a girl being confronted with this opportunity to see her mom again. But I didn't expect it to go quite the way that it did in terms of how successful it was. I think what really keeps it in strong slash territory for me is the fact that I watched this movie and I saw myself in it. I saw Alexis in it, I saw Ryan in it, I saw Mac in it, and I saw Paris in it 100% of the way. Not in like the biggest moments, right? Like I didn't see a whole lot of Ryan, but there are little moments where I'm like, yeah, Ryan would do that, or Ryan would make this face in this situation, and it was great. This movie is so inoffensive to me. It didn't have to just be inoffensive, right? That would have made it mediocre, but its ability to effectively blend comedy with horror tropes, with the emotional punches that this packs, it's undoubtedly a slash. And with that, the final girls from 2015 has earned three slashes 
and Paris still hacked it. Now, you can find this movie available for rent or purchase online. Feel free to check it out. Then join us in the second half so we can unpack the laughs together. See you in a bit. Reading sponsor copy for your podcast can get so tiresome. Coming up with funny things to say? Who has the time? Take a page from our book and call Rent-A-Mac. Our sponsor reading Mac can emulate a human voice somewhat perfectly and comes equipped with over 200 accents and dialects. Give him a vague semblance of a prompt and he will transcribe the perfect 60-second sponsor read for literally any product, real or otherwise. Is Rent-A-Mac an AI? Not legally, but close enough. Call 757-606-0128 to rent our Mac today. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for The Final Girls from 2015, which has earned three slashes and one hack. Now, we have a lot to get to here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, we have a matter of gore to attend to. Alexis, what's the gore score for this film? Well, Paris, you are correct. This movie feels very PG-13, and it's very reflective in that for the gore because (laughs) there was a lack thereof. You do see some scenes and, you know, some people are mangled and everything. But in general, you're not feeling after this like, wow, this is some saw stuff or even, you know, Fear Street if we're comparing the two. Well, I don't think it's necessarily right to compare the two. But I will say, I don't feel like I missed gore in this movie. I don't know. I don't know what was happening while I was watching this, but I was never at any point like, man, I really wish I had seen more of that kill. I felt that at every kill. Really? And I, for some reason, I think I remembered there being more gore in this movie than there was. You must have been thinking about some other movie, but not this one. You are probably right. He was thinking about the movie he had in his head when he thought about how he could make this movie better. Yeah, I I would love a stab at this movie because it has so many great elements and it had a lot of potential, but we need an R-rated version. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't know if I agree with you, Ryan, because I think there should have been more gore. I think that would have elevated a little bit and made the antagonist a little bit more frightful, but I realize that is not the intention of this movie. So I get where they're coming from. I applaud them sticking with that because I feel like there probably might have been some critique on to add a little bit more. With these 20 kills, though, I'm sure none of us will repeat a favorite kill, though, tonight. Dangerous thing to assume, my friend. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Bully counselor number three really did it for me. (laughs) Three out of eight, I may I say. (laughs) Just in case we do overlap, I'll go first. My favorite kill, and I'm sure no one will be surprised by this, but it's Tina. For the most part, I found Tina to be very grating as a character. She felt... It was too much for me. It wasn't my kind of dumb bitch, and I am apparently a connoisseur of dumb bitches. But seeing her really fuck up the whole operation, trip over a a cord, and fall face first into a bear trap, and die so quickly... That is the one thing I remember about this movie, and it's probably one of my top 10 favorite horror movie kills of all time, because it is so quick, so funny, and so perfect for that character. Yep. Before we went, I said, feels like we're going to pick the same one. And you said, no, there's no way we'll pick the same thing. But this is the best kill of the movie. And so, of course, that's my favorite as well. And 
it comes after this freaking ridiculous dance scene that's like so off tune and there is no rhythm involved, but dang, she looks good though. You know what I'm saying? I felt like she really lived in that moment. Like she took a shot of tequila before filming that and just went in for it. And I love that. And then, yeah, she's just like, he's coming and she runs, which to be fair, completely normal thing to do. And it's so fast and it gets focused on for exactly zero seconds, which is what makes it so good to me. Cause it's yeah. like, wait a minute, did she just fall into the bear trap? And they're just on to the next thing. And it just sits with you for a second. And you're like, wait, what? And it's so good. That is absolutely the best kill of this movie. Don't care what the rest of you guys have to say. Ouch. Okay. Well, sure. Tina has a really great death, but my favorite death was Kurt. Because I absolutely loved him flying out of that windshield, falling down, like landing on his like chest neck with his legs bent up and backwards and and behind him. It was a moment of like, so that's what he looks like. It was like a really mangled, this doesn't feel right. It's kind of like when you see someone break a bone in a movie or something and you're like, that's not the direction your leg's supposed to go, bro. It felt like that. So for him to have been talking so much trash the whole time up to that, to suddenly be silenced in such a vicious way, I really loved it. That sounds real dark. It's okay. We like your darkness. I thought that was very comedic. Like, it wasn't even a, oh my gosh, look at this. I need to turn my head. It was more, hmm, this is a very interesting kill. I'm staring at it because I'm trying to figure out what way his body is going. Two things that that reminded me of. It felt like I could hear Scooby saying, rut and then two, I could also imagine him, like a video of him flying out, landing, and then pause. Yep, that's me. Probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> and then rewinding back to everything else. That would be great. So I know TikTok wasn't around in 2015, obviously, but clearly it's a hit now. And there's these videos that are going around now where it's, I'm trying to think of the music that it goes, but... They switch it back and forth to the music and then they pull it down and then they pull it to the left, to the right. Then they transition to over their head. And when they turn it back and face themselves, they're like in cute makeup or sometimes they're in something horrific because it was around Halloween. That's my favorite trend on TikTok right now. So Blake's is my favorite because you have this whole scene and this camera spinning around and It's very reminiscent of these TikTok movies that I'm watching. Clearly, this came first, but I really do love what they do with the camera in that scene. And to go along with that, my favorite visual of this movie has to be where they're also taking the camera and Billy is in the house and just seeing him looking out the window and getting these different angles and he's on fire and jumping out. And then you see it sideways and it's a slow motion. The synthesizers are going, which Chris, you know, I am not a fan of. But in this situation, I was. It was a very modern version of the burning, in my opinion. Mm, You know, that scene in slow motion was originally supposed to last three whole minutes. Oh, I would have died. In movie time, I feel like that's really long, right? It absolutely is. But it was so funny when they were like, it's slow motion. <laughs> like, what's happening? And then it kind of puts you back into that meta thing of like, oh, no, 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 they're like in a movie, right? So all of a sudden they're in slow motion and they don't know what's going on because it, it's slow to us, but it's also slow to them. For sure. This this movie, I feel, was pretty to look at in a lot of ways, but it was very hit or miss on some of the things it did in post. 
you know, we have something that happens earlier in the film. We'll talk about it a little bit later in Factor Fiction, but it just wasn't executed well from my perspective. Like it jarred me and pulled me out of the moment that I think I was supposed to be feeling emotionally as this is happening. But one thing that I did think was really successful was their use of color in this film. Everything, when you look at the trailer and you think about them being dropped into this world, it's very technicolor. But then when we had that evening storm and looking at how crazy the sky looks, but even when Nancy, Max, and Chris are running from Billy and they're running, you know, it's a really foggy background and you have the teal of the night sky against the warmth of their light. Some of those shots were absolutely stunning and I love the way they emphasize that even with the contrast of going back to black and white in the flashbacks and then coming back into this color, colorful world. Each distinct moment in time, the present day in the theater and leading up to it, the world within the film, and even the use of flashbacks, it uses colors so differently. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Chris, you are so right. I feel like this movie visually sets itself apart. And I think that's part of what makes me enjoy it as much as I did. I have a few different things that I really enjoyed. My absolute favorite visual element, which I think is going to be pretty obvious, is the use of text as like an actual object. Ugh. So freaking good. They do it once with Welcome to Camp Bloodbath, and it's like this big object in the sky, and it's kind of an interesting thing. But nothing moves, right? Nothing interacts with it. And then as you continue, you start to interact with like the titles and the, you know, the 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 flashback scene and then they start to hit them and then the credits in the sky like all that stuff is so cool to me and i think it is clearly gonna be my favorite if you watch this movie and know me at all you know that that was what i was gonna pick but there's so much also to go with it there's amazing shots with the camera moving objects moving between people the one that stands out to me is in the movie theater when it's kind of like a final destination bit of a uh, sequence that happens that kind of seems like it's like spawning this to happen. Like these events have to happen in order and it shows you what happens in the movie and then what happens in the crowd and it follows that bottle rolling around. It's just little things like that really kept me interested. Where I was like, okay, this isn't just people being funny. This is something that we're doing. Like it feels good. Like it's actually done well. Yeah. To me, it felt very immersive. For sure. You know, Ryan, I know you well enough at this point to know that that's exactly what you were going to pick for your favorite visual element. And yet I did not come prepared with a backup. (laughs) But to be fair, I did take your favorite kill. So now we're even. Rookie move. I particularly loved, though, when the movie's basically over and they get everything done. And then the final credits roll as the sun rises. I thought that was a really nice touch and a really great use of that text. Um, I also really appreciated the effects that they used when they were going to a flashback, the way that like the sky started to drip down and everything started to lose saturation. I thought that was pretty effective and it was an entertaining thing to watch. It was so good. And I feel like it could have been done really badly. And especially the first time it happens, you're like, what is going on? It's so interesting to see. It's also interesting to see that now and look at how that was executed in a similar way, obviously not going back into the past to a flashback, but looking at Maddie having those flashbacks or those trans- transformations and divisions in Malignant. I thought the same thing, Chris. It gave me very much Malignant energy, which actually came before Malignant, so maybe Malignant got an inspiration. Honestly, so many good visuals all around. I think another thing that I really, really enjoyed, even if if it felt hokey, it was the moment when 
all hell is breaking loose in the theater. Everything's on fire. And then they're figuring out that there's an exit behind the the screen. It was cutting open the screen and the light pouring out. I don't care if it's hokey. That was beautiful. Okay. Also, stabbing at the same time that her mother got stabbed. Yes. The moment that happened, I was like, Chris is going to eat this shit up. And to be fair, I also liked it. Yeah, that theater scene got me. But I got to be honest with you. My favorite scene came at the very beginning of this movie. And it is the trailer for Camp Bloodbath. (laughs) I agree. I completely agree. It was so good. It was so good. And uh, for whatever reason, right? Like, because I think any of these horror comedy things have to kind of set the tone right at the beginning. The tone at the beginning of like Slumber Party Massacre did not work for me. Immediately, I was like, oh, I hate this. Whereas for whatever reason, this Camp Bloodbath trailer really, really did it for me. I was ready to laugh. I I couldn't figure out if it was like a place to go to have fun, like it was a joke. But I don't know. It was just so good. It was funny. It was cute. And it just prepared me to roll through this movie. That is the thing that set me up to give this a slash. Um, I just still am dying at the Kumbano. Yes. Really, I was laughing so much when that happened. It was so over the top, but in a good way, not in like, I'm so annoying and I hate you way. And I don't know what the difference is, honestly. I don't know why this feels different, but it does. I don't. I think because the characters aren't going as hard as you think they are. Mm-hmm. That's fair. My favorite scene is not just that trailer, right? Because I think that trailer really set you up well. Mine is when they're actually in the movie. And I could say it's that whole first bit where they land, they get there, they reset, and you realize every 92 minutes this thing loops kind of like Happy Death Day. But really where it is for me is when I saw myself in the movie and it's when Duncan is like nerding out, quoting everything else. And he's, I just thought like, would this be me? It might be me. But then he does some dumb shit. I'm like, maybe it wouldn't be me. Chris, I had the exact same thought. I was like, I wonder what Chris would do if she woke up and was in a Halloween movie and not necessarily the target, right? You you maybe could get out alive if you didn't stand in front of the killer like an idiot. But literally in that moment where they're standing in the woods and he's like talking to him or kind of looking at him, I was wondering, what would Chris do in this situation? How would this go? And how excited would she be about this? I'd be so excited. But also, I have a healthy respect and fear. Again, Michael Myers, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm not going <laughs> to fucking tempt you. I'm not going to tempt you with a good time. I'm going to respectfully move at a distance and say, hey, this is clearly... We don't have to be in the Wallace house or the Doyle house. We can be two houses down the road, watch from afar, and we're good, right? Like, Lori's going to figure this shit out. It'll be fine. But it was Duncan's understanding of the film and how it worked that made me really grounded in, okay, this movie knows exactly what it's doing, and I'm 100% here for it. Yeah. Chris, you would be the Duncan in this movie. I would, except for, again, I wouldn't try to take a selfie with Michael Myers. Would you not, though? Absolutely not. That man will fuck you up. Even from across the street. If under the guise of thinking that you wouldn't be affected because you're not a part of the movie, maybe. But here's the thing. The problem is, Billy was looking at him at that point. And at no point does that happen in the movie that he's watched this whole time. Billy was looking at him. He just didn't know what to do with him. True. I wouldn't trust that shit. If I'm watching this and it's like I'm in Halloween, but Michael Myers has no awareness of my existence, hell yeah, I'd take a selfie. 
But if Michael Myers is making eye contact with me, oh, boo. No, absolutely not. Can he make eye contact with anyone? Yeah, he has the devil's eyes, the blackest eyes. <laughs> I think you'd be mesmerized by the sheep. I, again, have a healthy fear and respect. Yeah, in my notes, I definitely wrote Chris is Duncan for sure, but she doesn't die off. And I also wrote, how funny would it be for Chris to be in her own favorite slasher movie? So it is really fun to see this come alive. And that's where my favorite scene steps in when you have those first two deaths at the camp. You know, everyone's just casually looking behind the log. You know, it's fun. You get the vibe of this movie very quickly. But then all of a sudden, once Duncan is killed and these two other people are, they realize that this is real. And they get terrified and shocked. And I think that's what this movie is great at, is changing how you feel about it. You're like, okay, cool. We're serious now. We're going to be comedic. We're going to be all these things. And it just... It's it's a ride, and this is an example of why I think it's a ride. Yeah. Just remember, if Duncan doesn't die, they survive too easily. That's very true. Also, I just want you to know that the hunk hiker really did it for me, and I am Mimi in this situation. That's all I have to say. Oh, that's fair. Okay. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I just thought about it, and I was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you knew exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. Because we're the same person in a lot of ways. <laughs> Alexis, <laughs> oh, though, you're totally right. I love the way that this movie played with the rules. And it was kind of like, okay, these are the bounds. These, This is what we can do. And then it's like, or is it? And I think in my favorite scene, that's showcased really well. And that's actually at the end of the movie when Max's mom dies again, but inside the movie. And then suddenly she's imbued with like all the power of a final girl. And she becomes like a Mary Sue and does all these like matrix moves. And she knows that like nothing she does will fail. And I found that to be really fun because at this point in the movie, I was like, okay, I'm kind of over this. Get me out of this like mom, daughter, like blue light crying moment and get me into like more fun stuff. And that was a very fun scene to just see her like matrix kill decapitate the killer. So matrixy though, but I'm going to be honest with you. Max's character, I just did not like. And you know, when you have those actors that play in other movies and specifically Max's character in American Horror Story. Yeah. She is so emo and so annoying in that TV show that all I could see her in this movie is also being very emo as well. Hilarious, because Alexis often talks about how she was emo. So pretty much I just saw myself in this movie. I didn't want to see my reflection, and fuck that. (laughs) My thing is, you know, at the beginning, her mom says, like, don't ever be in a slasher. Like, it's this whole thing of, like, no one can see me as anything other than this. So maybe it was done on purpose. Because I wouldn't say I saw her as a particular character but i know i've seen her before and so i recognize her and maybe that was done intentionally as part of the as part of the plot you know ryan i love how generous that is because i was also thinking the whole time oh this is that girl from american horror story who i don't particularly care for so i'm with alexis but i'm willing to be optimistic and say that that was a particular choice i don't know i didn't watch much of american horror story until the most recent season so i've never seen her in that But as I'm looking at her history of being in movies and TV shows, I don't know what I recognize her from. I cannot figure out what I've seen. It's like The Nun, Final Girls, and then American Horror Story. I've seen none of those things. Is it because you recognize her or is it because you recognize her sister from The Conjuring? (gasps) 
the campy, intuitive witch, psychic bitch. Does it just look like her, though? It, it can't really be her. They look exactly the same now that you're saying this, Chris. Sister? Okay. I am gagging. Yeah, I, I am having a very hard time understanding, uh, but that is actually what it is. I recognize her face from her sister. That's really weird, and I don't like that. Are they twins? Are they not twins? They are more twins than I've ever seen before. But also like 30 years apart somehow. She's 27 and her sister is 48. I love an off-generation child, okay? It runs in my family. We always have one that's like 15 years later, so I'm cool with that. Me too. Well, I'm the I'm the 15 years later. Are you 15 years later? Yeah, my all my siblings are way older than me, like 75, 77, 79, and I'm in 89. Every generation of my family has had someone 10 or 15 years later, and so I support it. But at the same time, I am creeped out by the fact that I recognize her face based on her sister. That's definitely what it is. I literally feel like I've slipped into another timeline. I'm like scrolling through pictures of them together and I'm like, my brain can't handle this because it's so accurate, so true, but I wasn't prepared at all for this to be true. The genes are so strong. And it's also like the same vibe and the same energy. They both have like sad faces. I don't know what it is, but that's not their fault. What I can blame this movie for is its weak-ass characters. I didn't give a shit about a single one of these people. Also, the character that played the mom could not have had less Betty Davis eyes. So for that to be her song with her tiny little beady eyes that aren't big or hooded at all, I was like, that's not your song, bitch. You ain't got Betty Davis eyes. Okay, it's their song together to dance and have a good time. Also, hear me out. Two things. One, we all sing the songs that have nothing to do with us. Yeah. Brown Eyed Girl. Mm-hmm. None of us look like the songs that we like to sing. Fair. Two, the fact that Betty is spelled B-E-T-T-E ruins me. I know that's so dumb. <laughs> it's Betty Davis. I understand. I get it. I understand this is a person that I don't know, but is important. If you watch this with captions and can't stand spelling things, this drove me nuts the whole time they were singing that song. I was just like, that doesn't say Betty. It clearly says Bet. Okay, I'm just going to throw one more thing onto, one more coal onto the fire. And this is for my Animal Crossing people out there, because I know they exist in our listenership. And there's a frog that's famously very ugly in this game. And every time I see her, her name is Jambette. And I just think, she's got Jambette Davis eyes. (laughs) Meanwhile, I had never heard that song and kind of felt like it was made for this movie. So those are the two different versions of humans you have here. Mm-hmm. So originally, the song that they were supposed to use was Heaven is a Place on Earth, Ooh, which I cannot w- listen to now without thinking of the lesbian episode of Black Mirror. It's so romantic. Well, Paris, as much as you didn't like the characters here... I actually surprisingly didn't have beef with most of them. There's obviously some things I didn't enjoy. Like, we didn't need a hard F-bomb in the middle of this movie. Like, we really didn't. It didn't do anything. It was just a lot in that moment. I think that moment was funny, but I didn't need it. But overall, I felt like we got characters that were a joke of themselves and a caricature. So it didn't bother me that some people were way too dumb and some people were a bit too sexual and annoying. Like, I think Kurt was playing this character that is someone who can't talk about anything other than sex, right? Because that's the thing that we make fun of. And by we, I mean me, in these 80s slashers is like, are you guys really still talking about sex or really just trying to have sex? And Friday the 13th comes to mind immediately. But I think he he's playing a character of those people. And that's perfect in this movie. For me, 
clearly Paris and I have many different opinions about this and he didn't align with it, but like the PG 13 and all that stuff did not bother me with these characters. I didn't need more cussing. I didn't need to see boobs and actual sex scenes. It was all good. Yeah. I was actually fairly satisfied with most of the characters in this movie. Kurt was a weak spot for me. The one that I really couldn't vibe with very well for a long time was Chris. And it wasn't until he talked about his gay dads and then he like threw down on Kurt and just like was like, nope, you're not talking about this. We're done here. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. When he stood up to him in that way, I appreciated it. But he just seemed like a buffoon. I mean, we can pour M&Ms in the popcorn and it's the way every handful is like kind of suspenseful. I hated that so much. He's a himbo. He is a himbo, but also the writing's bad. The writing is bad because it's about a bad movie. It's supposed to be. No, but they're not the ones in the bad movie. They're the real people. But it's meta, man. It's camp, Paris. (laughs) Okay, this movie specifically is actually not camp. Okay, she's beating you at your own game, Paris. I think I'm winning this. This movie's not... Chris, do you think this movie's camp? I think it has campy moments for sure. It has campy moments, but this movie's not camp. Campy moments. I'm not saying it's overall campy. Okay, no, I think that that's, that's a distinction I'm not willing to make. What? It has campy moments and therefore falls into a camp category for me. No. If there's like a gradient saturation scale of campiness, it wouldn't be all the way to the right. That's malignant, but it's definitely not all the way to the left. The majority of the comedy in this movie, I will say, is not camp. And now we're dividing camp camps. Because camp doesn't make sense, but it's okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. The characters just worked for me. I was really rooting for Chris and Max the whole time. I felt like he's just, he's a himbo, but he was so sweet. We all have to have those people, you know? I feel like he was into her. He was trying to do things for her. As a person who needed comfort, he was there. He wasn't making dumb decisions. He didn't suck. I don't know. I, I don't know, it was just soft when I was watching this movie or something. No, he's truly a sweetheart. Right. I'm cute. Oh, he's a cutie for sure. Okay, but wait, I do have a character in this movie that I did enjoy. Maybe two. One of them was Gertie because Aaliyah Shawkat is just a star in everything she's ever done. What a beauty. But also Vicky, and I think this is probably no surprise to anybody, and it's not because I'm a fan of Degrassi because Nina Dobrev was absolutely in Degrassi for like five seasons. For her, it was the, my connection to uh, the Vampire Diaries. Oh, interesting. She's very much that kind of girl, like a CW, Pretty Little Liars kind of show. But I enjoyed her monologue when she was like on the docks and she was like, listen, the reason I've been a bitch to you this whole time is because I was actually like really upset when you shut me out when your mom died. And I felt like really jealous because you became best friends with this other girl and I didn't know what to do. And then she's like, I figured I should probably get this all out because we're like three quarters of the way into an 80s slasher and I'm the mean bitchy girl. So I'm probably going to die soon. And I thought that that was like fun. And also like just the amount of sentimental where I was like, I can get into this without like throwing up a little bit in my mouth. Yes. And it would like struck a good balance for me. Yes. She said, I think I've overstayed my welcome already. It was so good. Yeah. The delivery of that portion of it was really solid for me. I don't like how crazy they made her look when obsessive with Chris, right? Like, I don't think we need to weigh her down. Clearly, when she got into the world and he called her, what's up, fun bags? And she's like, yay, feminism. Obviously, she's so intelligent and she has her wits about her. I don't like that they made her so boy crazy with Chris in the initial because you just walk in to think she's like, okay, you're just a psycho ex. That's weird. But also, Chris, I can I relate to this because sometimes you adopt that character because when people look at you, they assume that's what you are. So you're like, you know what? I'll 
pretend to be that and get what I want out of it, but it's not truly who I am. Okay, but also it was a weird part of the story because why is Max like talking to dating more or less one of her friend's ex-boyfriends? It's a weird, it was a weird weird plot line that we didn't really talk about and it is just unnecessary. We didn't need to weigh it down. I think Vicky could have been a scornful ex, but like the psychotic is stalking his Twitter. So, you know, it, just, it felt a bit much for the character that we end up seeing that she is. Agreed. It was like too much of a reach. Like, I, I, I didn't like that. But what I did really enjoy was her having that moment. And then when she told Max to just go and she stayed under there, grabbed Gertie's hand and pulled the bucket down with the gasoline so that they could just have this explosion. She was a redemptive moment for me. I'm surprised you haven't talked more about Tina. I hated Tina. Get the fuck out of here. Tina sucked. Okay, here is my piece with Tina. To play stupid, you have to be very smart. And this was not that. This was a dumb person trying to play dumb. And that's what I'm going to leave it at. That's aggressive. I hated the whole like Adderall thing and then the interaction with the phone. I thought those two bits were very over the top. But everything else, I quite enjoyed. I mean, they were all being very dumb in the beginning and i was okay with it on paper you would think that i would love the tina character but in practice she did almost nothing for me except when she fell face first into a bear trap i'm sorry i have a note that says so paris loves tina right i love legends loch ness bigfoot bon jovi all of them you didn't like that moment yeah not funny bad writing very dumb no it was a great line her character was poorly written, I think. And I don't I, I won't say it's necessarily the actress's fault, but the script she was given to work with was garbage. Uh-huh. What? Predictably unpredictable, huh? No, listen, the algorithm said I would like this, and people that know me would be like, oh, he might like this, but it just doesn't quite do it. It's like bizarro world where everything seems like something you know, but it's not quite there. On this kind of similar topic, I need to just like address something for a moment. There is a bit of like uncertainty about the era that we're in in this movie because it starts with a sidekick and then three years later she's watching something on a TV that is clearly like tiny VHS that like maybe somebody had when they were like eight in 2000 something, but definitely before 2015. And definitely not after the sidekick era. There's just a very weird thing. And then all of a sudden when they're in the movie, they have an iPhone. The technology here doesn't work out. And it just, you just have to not. They brought in the iPhone. Sure. I know that. But what I'm saying is they brought in an iPhone three years after they had the sidekick, but also the TV is like old school. Here's the thing about the TV. They say that she's living with her aunt. I think her aunt has this older TV specifically for watching those home videos. Because we like we still have an old ass TV in our storage room. Not like that. We do we use it? No, but it seems like she's like trying to like go through play these old VHSs. That and that's just what she has. It was like an eight inch built in VHS TV. It was this. You can still get those. No, I mean, yeah, you could still get anything. It doesn't mean you should or would. It was very obvious that although she was watching on that TV, that wasn't the technology at the time. Like, you see them using modern phones, and it felt, like, the rest of it felt very, very modern. I don't know. I I disagree, but it's okay. Now, obviously, I've had a lot of shit to talk about this movie, but honestly, the best part for me was the bloopers, because it made me realize how much fun it was to make this movie. And I feel like 
I've said this a couple times, but I feel like there is an R-rated cut of this somewhere out there where the things that they couldn't put in there to get the PG-13 rating had to be cut. And I think that the movie that was made was very good. The movie we got, not so much. But the bloopers really let me in on like the the fun and the vibe and like the, the really great time that you can tell everybody had on set. Well, maybe they would have had more fun on set had they gotten to actually... Uh, do some tumbling in that car in the first car accident because that shit was the worst part looking at how terrible that cgi was yes chris i completely agree i wrote it down twice because it was so bad and for that time i feel like you could have done something different to make that look a little bit more realistic or just not have that part in the movie i think that's really interesting because to me it didn't need to be super realistic because we were already set up to be in a horror comedy. I don't know. It didn't stand out to me. I actually think my worst part is funny because we just talked a lot about this, but the dumb things that happen in this movie are too over the top. Tina, like the whole Adderall thing, it's too over the top for me. Those are the bits that I couldn't quite get on with. Those are the worst parts for me. Well, regardless of the worst parts, and I know Paris, you've already watched this twice, uh, even with your best moment. Would I think you watch this again? I'm definitely not gonna, but I wouldn't be against it. When I was talking about how this was a slash, I said I definitely would watch this again. And in the near future, which I could totally see, if this is something that's on TV, I'm definitely going to keep it on and not turn it off. So I'm not going to watch this movie again, but it is not a terrible movie. It's an easy watch for sure. Like when I knew we were watching this again, I was like, I don't remember liking this, but I'm not like miserable that I have to watch it again. It was actually like, there's parts that are entertaining and fun. So it's not something I watch again, but if you're in for a good time and like a shut your brain off kind of movie, definitely watch it. I'm absolutely going to watch this again. There's a lot to appreciate about this movie. There's a lot of really great moments in it. There's a lot that I haven't even gotten to uncover yet in terms of connections to previous horror films, even the ones that we've covered on this show. But I think some of the things that I've also learned in fact or fiction may sway you a little bit on that rewatchability. Can't wait. Number one. Angela Trimber, who played Tina, is actually a classically trained dancer. As such, she was entrusted to choreograph her striptease. Ooh, I'm definitely going fact, because she went hard. To me, that did not look like it was choreographed at all. Nothing's not choreographed. Mm. It was done bad on purpose. Uh, It still looked like if I were to dance in front of my mirror, so I'm just saying this is going to be fiction. I'm going to say fiction as well, because when I was watching that scene this time, all I could think of was her probably doing that scene in the audition, and that's how she got the role. So it is fiction, but it's because she improvised her entire dance sequence. She specifically slammed energy drinks to get into character and worked herself up for the dance. I literally thought that except Coke. I was wrong about the tequila. Interesting. That's how you get hype now. I'm going to learn that before I get on the dance floor this weekend. Number two, in a throwback to one of our previous episodes, the original version of the script featured the killer Billy Murphy being named Hatchet Face. Fiction, I hate that, but maybe it's on purpose. Fact. I'm going to say fiction as well, because what? how are you going to name a character Hatchet Face if they're wearing a mask that it looks like a tiki chameleon? I don't know, there's a disconnect there for me. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, it is a fact. Number three. We'll dig a little bit more into the original version of that script. When our group of modern kids were dropped into the film, they were initially supposed to undergo physical and psychological transformations to make them more aligned with 80s characters. Physical, that's interesting. I will say fact, because it feels like every character had like the seed or the sapling of a trope, 
but then never like fully went for it and i feel like that could have been fun i'll say fact i truly have no idea i've been wrong continuously so i'll say fiction I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's a fact. The girls' waistlines were supposed to shrink, their breasts were to balloon, and Gertie was going to be so enamored with her newfound beauty that she would actually try to sabotage her friends to ensure they could never leave. And just like that, it's a slash. Uh, No. (laughs) That's a terrible... Oh, God. No. I'm just fucking with (laughs) y'all. All right, moving on to number four. Now, part of this movie's need for low gore and a PG-13 rating was the budgetary constraints. Much of the heavy lifting was actually done in post, so the skies were digitally replaced, the theater fire, and the car accidents and explosions, all CGI. I, I feel strongly that the backgrounds were CGI, the car was CGI, the fire... Sure, whatever, fact. I'm gonna say fact, too. I do think those things were CGI, but was it because of budget? Ugh, I don't know. Yeah, CGI budget sounds expensive. Yeah, what? No, whatever fact. Let's see. Yeah, it's not Mac, so the specifics are different. Well, it's fiction. The car crash and explosion at the camp were done practically. What? They crashed that car and they set it on fire. That car crash was not CGI. At the camp, specifically. Oh. Oh. The opening car crash with the mom, absolutely CGI. That was entirely CGI. Oh, you played us. Yeah, we've been deceived. <laughs> car accidents, plural. Uh-huh. And one of the camp and the explosion, <laughs> okay, all <back>. practical. Uh-huh. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. You saw this movie. There were two car accidents. <laughs> Number five, wrapping things up. Alexander Ludwig, who plays Chris, is the son of an actress. His mother, Charlene Martin, appeared in Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan from 1989, as prom queen Tamara Mason. There's so many details. I'm just going to say fiction to be safe. Something in there sounds like a fiction. Okay, but I'm really clinging to the idea that this man is only famous because he has somebody in this family that's in the industry. Because otherwise, the most plain looking white man you've ever seen in your life. So I'm going to say fact. Well, I don't know if that's the only reason he's famous, but it absolutely is a fact. His mother did encounter Jason when he took Manhattan. Actually, before he took Manhattan, they were on the boat on the way to Manhattan. Bless. And there you have it, folks. And there you have it. With as inspired as this movie was by Friday the 13th and previous slashers, we have blood lineage to go along with that. As we wrap up here, the final girls from 2015, selected by our patrons, made out fairly well with three slashes and one hack. Now, we've talked a lot about this movie. There's still a lot to uncover, and we want to know what you think and how you're feeling about it as well. So keep in mind there are a number of ways to reach out to us, starting with our website, hackerslash.live, or on our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you think that you could survive if you got dropped into your favorite horror movie, you can reach out to our Hackerslash hotline and tell us about it. You can leave us a voicemail at 757-606-0128 or visit hackerslash.live to send us an audio message. Or you can also send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons, like Matt and Amber. You can visit patreon.com slash hackerslash to earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, technically, we start dying the moment we're born. Bye. Bye.